0: Boy, there is no joy, like, knowing as many people as as you do after seven years of sitting on a street corner. I mean, it is Sesame Street action. I am Mr. Hooper, you know, or, or you know, in my own fantasies, right? Like, <laughs> like, I just know, you know everybody. So when the Pizza Co. staff walks by and then the Ivy staff walks by and then these guys are going to the library and... You know, you, you're you waving at everybody, you're talking to everybody, people are popping their heads in, they're walking by with their dogs. It is, it is literally the dream. I mean, that part is 100% the dream.
1: Welcome to Girl, Let's Talk About Food, presented by You Can Do It, Do It. Today we have Jan from Stock Culinary Goods on Hope Street in Providence, Rhode Island.
0: Yeah, I moved here in 99, um from New York City, uh, from Brooklyn, and we were just a freshly married couple, and we were looking for a place to settle. And uh, we were kind of forced to move by my brother-in-law. He and my husband were in a business together, and my brother-in-law lived in Connecticut, deep Connecticut, and uh, commuted to Manhattan every day. And he was like, this is bollocks. I'm not doing this anymore. You have to move closer to me. And so... My husband and I were like practically newlyweds, so you don't know your future or your fate. You're like, "All right, sure." <laughs> so we're like, "I guess maybe Hartford, maybe Providence. Those are the same, right?" <laughs> And we drove through (laughs) Providence one weekend, and we were like, oh, yeah, no, this sucks. (laughs) We won't be back. And we went back to New York, and we just resumed our living. And then the brother-in-law was like, "Uh, you guys promised me you were going to move. And we are like, oh, right. So we did. We just did. We never even looked at Hartford, and I'm, no offense to Hartford, grateful for that now. Mm. We just came to Providence. It was, you know, a real kind of shift at first, Um, but I had... Not a job at that time because we had just moved and I didn't have any kids. So I just jumped in my car, my little old 240 Volvo, and rambled around every road and went, you know, with my paper map. Like looked at every single place and found all those bizarre like, you know, beef barns and all the weird stuff that you find if you go down the country roads. and, And just kind of became mildly obsessed with the state. And then I started to figure out within six or eight months that we had what I now refer to as the best culture to hassle ratio of any place I've ever lived. Mm -hmm. So I'm from Portland, Oregon, which was certainly a burgeoning artistic city. Um, I lived in Seattle after that. I lived in LA after that. And then I settled in New York for several years. So I've got around a little bit and I got here and I was like, wait, I can have all of this culture and none of the hassle? I'll take it. <laughs> and so then it became like a huge booster. But, you know, it took a few months of adjustment. And and I was always struck by the fact that it felt like we were just on the cusp. You know, Rhode Island was just on the cusp. We were going to turn that page. We were going to become the city of potential or the, the kinetic city that I knew we had the potential for. And it just kind of never happened. And then I started to learn about, like, we're always the first into recession and always the last out, you know. There's just some kind of foundational issues with Rhode Island where it never quite stabilizes, and so I got used to those patterns for ten, fifteen years. But I still loved it. I'm like, you know, I said, "What city in America would you be like?" Oh, do you want me to pick up at the airport? I'll be right there. See in fifteen. Like that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, you know. So I loved it. I was all about it, and then. I did various jobs at all kinds of jobs. And then when I started around the time I started the store in 2012, after we were kind of coming out of recession is when I feel like we really hit our tipping point. And then I really felt that now we were no longer that city of potential, but we were that city. We are that city. And now I'm just like, I love this freaking city. I think it's awesome. Yeah.
1: Um, I I graduated college and. just out of 2009. Okay. My parents were like, Hey, just find a job. Any job. It doesn't matter what, just get a job and the next job will be easy to find.
0: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: You know, it's sort of like it was leapfrogged from there, but what, what were you up to in that time? Were you thinking about starting the store or
2: no,
0: no, the store is its own kind of, it kind of just came into being, it willed itself into being, it was not really my idea. Um, I was a writer when I was back in New York, um, and I was doing kind of freelance writing all over the place. And so that's when I first started having kids. That's what I was doing to, you know, supplement our income. Excuse me. And um, so that was fine. And then I got a little stir crazy, and I worked for a PR and marketing firm for a while in the jewelry district. And that was really really great and stimulating and but hard at at that point I had three kids and it was a lot so I suspended that so I could start writing these guidebooks and they were called the eat shop guides and they were um, started out of Portland Oregon um, from a friend of my cousin and I sent her this pitch because at that time they'd done LA New York Paris Seattle and I want to say like Chicago and I was like (laughs) I would like to pitch you Rhode Island <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and she was like okay but I wrote one of these really you know what I felt was this very passionate you know reasoning for why I thought Rhode Island would actually make a great you know material for these little guidebooks because the premise of them was you distill a city into 45 restaurants and 45 shops chef owned locally owned So I I was saying, we have so much of that here. Like, there's so much culture here for not the big box. You know, there is so much kind of independent streak here. Now, keep in mind, this was 2006. Right, right. Much less than there is now. But there was still enough. And so absolutely stunningly, she was like, yeah, okay, sure, let's do it. So Rhode Island joined (laughs) these major world cities as it's the only, she ended up, there ended up being, I think, something like, 35, 40 cities ultimately in, in the series, Rhode Island being the only state.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, It's not not even a city. I know, right? Right. Which
0: I mean, the power of persuasion, right? right. I'm just like, you have to cover this place. It's so good. So I did these eat shop guides and you know, it was 2006. So what was in there? Hudson street deli, Nick's on Broadway, um, Shea Pascal, I think, um, farmstead, um,
1: oh my gosh, I miss farmstead. Oh God.
0: That's oh,
1: almost every other week. I'm day. like, Oh, why don't they exist? anymore?
0: I know. And I sell his book and I still just get like teary eyed every time I sell homegrown. But then on the shopping side, we had frog and toad. We had, um, I think Craftland, probably maybe they were already open. I can't even remember, but it was just like, you know, it's these little small locally owned places. And prior to that, I'd already kind of had welling in me this idea that if you're going to I have family in the West Coast, if you're going to go back and see your family and you want to bring them a hostess gift because it's the right thing to do, you don't want to go to Pottery Barn and get them the thing off the cargo ship that everybody that they have in their own Pottery Barn. So that was when it first started to kind of gel in me like, oh, it's really nice to have places where you can get things that represent the place. I know now we kind of take that for granted, but I swear to God, in 2006, (laughs) that was still kind of revolutionary that you would really bring a piece of the actual place. So, when um, I did several of those, I did probably five or six more cities Denver, Miami, Montreal. Montreal was my favorite. Um, And then I went again a little stir crazy. And so, I started working at the Ocean House, and the Ocean House had just opened maybe a year before. And it was the food forager and director of culinary education job. And I really was underqualified for both. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess a lot of people were not banging on their doors for that huh. position at that time. And they took me in and the food foraging meant basically that I worked with the uh, interface between the kitchen and the local farms.
1: Huh. Okay. So, Eric, so you weren't going out hunting for mushrooms. No,
0: but there's a funny story about that. <laughs> but Eric Hogan was the uh, chef de cuisine at the time, and he's crazy talented. And um, he's now with Jeffrey Zakarian at the Lamb Club and in that whole empire in New York City. But he was great, and he really we're like he was just a very discriminating and, you know, consummate chef guy. So he would send me out for really fun stuff. And he would check the marbling on the beef. And, you know, one time I had a whole dead sheep in the back of my car wrapped in a garbage bag. I'm like, no, this is normal. This, this is fine. Um Sound like a
3: hitman or something. It was know.
0: so unpretty. And it looked exactly like my pit bull at the time, like oh, the no. shape and the body, yeah. you know, like the whole like look of it right. was like, oh my God, what did I do? Oh. So anyway, I did all kinds of stuff like that. Carrots, heirloom, tomatoes, whatever brought them to the kitchen. And then the culinary education part for me, I had to keep it really simple, so I was teaching like how to make ice cream and how to grill pizzas and how to make risotto and it was great. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but westerly is and will always be about an hour away, no matter what you do <laughs> or uh, where you go <laughs> or where you go so that just started to wear on me again, the three kids thing, and so I would drive down Hope Street. I'd been living in Oak Hill forever, Pawtucket. And I loved that little Hope Village and I loved Frog and Toad. And then Atelier came and Seven Stars was like the, you know, the throbbing economic engine of Hope Street. And I said, wow, that corner space has been open for a really long time. I wish somebody would put something in there. Drive by (laughs) it again three months later. Geez, somebody really needs to put something in there.
1: (laughs) That went vacant for even three months?
0: Years. uh, Wow. Recession, Hmm. you know. So it had it had most previously it had been Kaplan's when I moved there in the late 90s, which was a, a Jewish like bakery, and then it had become then it was I think maybe possibly empty for a while. Then it was something called Fountain Apothecary, which was really nothing, and then that left. And then it was the European Deli, which was a shady place, <laughs> and they had like you know they had like the kind of Kinder Eggs you can't get in the United States, and some kind of like mealy wormy type. random things and then they had a meat a deli case and the lady sat there (laughs) with her orange hair behind the deli case smoking and you would come in and you'd say what kind of sausage is that and she would go meat
3: (laughs) it's filled with meat what do you want from me it's from an animal it's sausage we grind stuff up we put
0: it in a skin eat it why are you so picky yeah (laughs) so that was there for a few years and then when that went down with its you know oh my god it had its like green awning over its like peeling mustard colored facade and it was just the ugliest place so yes believe it or not it sat empty for years i'm gonna say two or three and and i just like after a while I was like this is crazy that's an amazing space and there's no kitchen store in providence rhode island which has a cooking school in its Right. boundaries like what is going on so I was like god damn it somebody is gonna have to put a cooking store in there <laughs> and I kept waiting and nobody would do it so I was like mm, I guess it's me but I did
1: so you kind of stumbled into food
0: oh yeah no I mean yeah no um no in as much as every party I've ever had for my entire adult life takes place in the kitchen every vacation I've ever gone on is you know kind of formed around, around yeah. where we're gonna you know what we're gonna eat like we we go to block island every week i mean every year for a week and we come off <laughs> we look like we look like those people who took their trunks <laughs> for their summer vacations you know coming off this the, the ships yeah we're wheeling our Colmans in and it's like nice. there's stuff to the gills with you know four of them for four people it's like there's enough food there to to feed the entire island <laughs> so we we definitely, food has always, food, cooking, all of that has always been a preoccupation of mine. And so the Eat Shop guides really reinforced that. And it introduced me to all these people. The, you know, the culinary education thing furthered that. And the store, I guess you could say, cemented it.
3: Yeah. Culmination. Yeah. Of your food journey.
0: Well, who knows? Yes, that's true. So
3: far, I should say.
1: (laughs) Culmination is just the beginning. That's right. That's true.
0: Here's what I'll never do, though. I will never make food. Professionally. Professionally, Yeah, yeah. that's that's where I draw the line. Hmm. I don't have the stones.
3: The ocean house was the closest you got to it.
0: I love to cook for my kids. I love to cook for me. But God, I would never want to churn out night after night after night. I, re- I have so much respect for people who do.
3: They work an insane amount. I mean, everyone we've interviewed who has a restaurant or food truck or whatever, it's just like they're working like
1: 22-hour days. It's insane. Yeah. 26 out of the 24 hours. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's they're amazing. working on like another planet's time. But. Yeah. Any business in any industry where someone has true ownership whether that, you know, they're the actual owner or whether they feel accountable and responsible for what they're producing can generate and engender that kind of, not workaholism, but like time put in. Um, And we certainly, you know, end up falling victim to that as (laughs) in a startup and, you know, doing the podcast. But um, do you, do you find that with the shop, um, you have a a semblance of balance? (laughs) <laughs> between it and and the rest of life or no
0: oh my god no. so you know the 26 out of 24 hours mm, like no. it, it requires a multiverse yeah i'm in that multiverse <laughs> and have been for seven years i said
3: it and i was like you know what i bet she's in the exact same but i'm not gonna oh, yeah
0: oh it's nuts and yeah. you know i had three kids i would have three kids you know at one point i had three kids in diapers because they were five three and one i would do that again Compared to this, yeah, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. The, I've never, ever, ever had anything like this. And I remember talking to Asher at Frog and Toad before I started. I was like, so what do you do all day? And I really didn't get it. I just didn't get it. And I know now that when I try to explain it and I get all high pitched and I get all animated, that people are like, shut up, lady. And I don't blame <laughs> them because there's no way you can even possibly know until you're in it. And if I were to tell you all the things I do every single day <laughs> for seven years without fail, you'd be like, I don't know. Why doesn't somebody else do that? Because you can't hire people to do the things you do all day. Like, it's insane. And I, every day, I just say, how many more years of this can I sustain? Like, I feel like I have aged 50 years in the last seven
3: Well, give us a taste of what uh, what a day is like.
0: Because I have a kitchen store, there is an expectation that I will have everything because that's what kitchen stores do. And when I did my research and I did go around a little bit, that's generally what they have. They have everything, because you have to be of use in the community. And I firmly believe in that. I don't want to be a gourmet store or a boutique store or anything like that. I've always wanted to be your neighborhood kitchen store, and I want to help you. So if you need a cherry pitter, because it's, you know, May, or you need a steamed pudding mold, because it's December, like I need to be there for you. There's the sheer thing of just having like every single thing that everybody could ever want. And then there's having the ones that They want that you want to carry. So I don't want to carry everything. I don't have the space, and I don't have the desire to have every version of everything. I want to have kind of the best-in-class versions. So there's a ton of research that goes into that, both personal and studying and researching and that. And there's just listening to people. What do they want? You know, what do they like? And so there's just the acquisition, just the ordering. And, you know, we're not just a kitchen store. We're also hugely invested in having, like, interesting local small batch things made for us and that you can't find anywhere else. So all the time I'm chasing down artists or having people come in off the street. And some of my best finds have been artists who've come off the street. And it's been a- astonishing how cool and how much talent there is in this city where they're just like, hey, I make a cast bronze horseshoe crab bottle opener. Do you want to carry it? I'm like, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, So, so there's keeping the store stocked. And then, like I said, people who come in from a kitchen store very rarely will say, and this is why in my next life I'm opening a gift store. They will come in and they will say, I need a whisk. And you're like, awesome. I have some some Kunrakan and I have some Epicurean and I have some, you know, Xylas over here. And they're like, no, I actually need this one. And they'll have one in mind. You know, it needs to be blue or it needs to be thinner tined or it has to have a fatter handle or it has to be the one their grandmother had or it has to be the one that um, Jamie Oliver was using. You know, there's always some, you know, expectation of exactly what they want. In the one time interaction, you're like, oh, "I'm so sorry, I don't have that right now it, but in the cumulative, it just wears on your soul when you have to say, "I'm sorry, I don't have that like that just you know but I do have this, and it's awesome, but that's when people come in and they know exactly what they want, they know exactly what they want, and it's really hard and regardless of how good a salesperson you might be to talk them into something else and I get it, I totally get that
1: but well, it's a strategy tax, right it's you you end up paying on on one end. You've got to pay it. It's either you carry all the inventory in the world, mm. and you you have to figure out how to make that work, yeah. Or on the other side of it, you develop an opinion and say, "We don't have that, and we won't."
0: Yeah, we don't. We won't. And no are not friendly retailer words right. in in 2019 when everybody knows they could have it here tomorrow, and they literally could have it here tomorrow. Right. So it's like, what am I providing? So. We know that, so we try to do a lot of yeses, and that's another kind of complicating factor because I think there's maybe a misperception that I'm sure I had before I started this, which is like, well, go get that. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, you want this peeler, and maybe this peeler is with Queasy Pro, and I don't have a relationship with them. But I could get it, but I'll have to do an opening order, which is generally around $1,000. And I'll have to do all the paperwork and all the credit reports. And then, I mean, all the credit stuff. And then I can order it, but I can't order one. I still have to order, you know, a case pack, which is probably a dozen, maybe 24, of that one item. But we still have to hit minimum shipping requirements, which could be, you know, anywhere from 500 to 750 even if we have an account with them. So the person who comes in and says, well, can you get me that is always well-meaning. And I always want to help them. But it's like, no, <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> or yes, but it's going to take me like three weeks, you All know, right. and it's, it's not that any of this is horrible. It's just, it it hurts because I don't know what the right answer is.
3: But what makes you say yes? When when those people have, uh,
0: I don't something. like to say no,
3: ah, okay, and yeah. I and I
0: you know when I d- just... and look, Providence is small, and word of mouth is meaningful. And you know, one the other thing that we have brought to this that we feel really strongly about about is we know again that you could get anything anywhere, so we really want everything to be experiential. So we don't ever want anybody to come in and just feel like, oh I sold you a mesh cutting glove. Like we want somebody to come in and be like, Oh hey, I you know that you were last time you were here and then you did that and how did that work out and how's your daughter and you know we really want people to have good associations with coming in the store rather than just necessarily getting what they wanted so there's a lot of customer interface too like that just goes on all day and then this year, I experimented with not being in the store as much. And I thought, this will be great. And this is to your balance question <laughs> 25 minutes ago. And I thought, I'm just going like, to hire people to work shifts. And I'll just be behind the scenes, like puppeteering. <laughs> <laughs> and not only am How'd I... that work out? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So not only did that not work at all, but I really found there's kind of an owner effect when people are shopping, which is they want to shop with the owner. And, and I get, I also get that, like, there's none of these actions where I'm like, damn it, it's just more like, oh, I see it now. You know, so, so they want to know, like, is Jan here? No, she's not in today. Oh, okay, I'll come back when she is. (laughs) You know, those are sales you're not making. And I got to feed, you know, you have to feed that beast because I can't order your aqua blue peeler if I don't make sales regularly. It's just, it's like a, Especially a... as
3: that community business, because like you're, you're you're kind of the heart of the business, you're the face of it, and you're responding to the community and culture around it. So yeah, I'm sure for them to just see some snot nosed twenty year old kid <laughs> at the front desk, I don't want to. Which is
0: literally my daughter, who's <laughs> oh, literally sorry. there right now. I'm sure she has no. She, she's holding down the shop. <laughs> she was. I left her in a knife skills class. Oh nice. Right now. Yeah. She's 19. She's uh,
1: Yeah, yeah so I'm very nice. Her. Class. Thirteen is good with oh, no nice. yeah, right. <laughs> You know what? I need to leave. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Oops.
1: <laughs> how how do you how do you prevent burnout?
0: Um, I don't. No. I don't. And so Is there
1: enough joy on the other end that balances you it? Know, out?
0: the the joy really is genuinely in that shop when people are coming in and you're humming and it's just like you know everybody. I mean, you can't there is no Boy, there is no joy, like, knowing as many people as, as you do after seven years of sitting on a street corner. I mean, it is Sesame Street action. I am Mr. Hooper, you know, or, or you <laughs> know, in my own fantasies, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just know, you know everybody. So when the Pizzaco staff walks by and then the Ivy staff walks by and then these guys are going to the library and, you know, you, you're you waving at everybody. You're talking to everybody. People are popping their heads in. They're walking by with their dogs. It is It is literally the dream. I mean, that part is 100% the dream. But, um, and, you know, like after the, you know, election <laughs> in 2016, I could not wait to get to work because I needed my community. And boy, did they come in in droves. You know, we're a kitchen store and here's everybody, you know, pooling around in our store just going like, what the hell? And I'm like, I know. And it was so cathartic and awesome to have your people around you so it's sometimes I just feel like maybe stock shouldn't necessarily be a kitchen store but should be like a community center <laughs> a soup kitchen <laughs>
1: Honestly, there, I mean there is like retail therapy is sort of a you know cliche phrase right. and but there is something to walking into a store where you know people who work there you might bump into somebody you know yeah. That's cathartic.
0: Oh, my God. The the amount of people that we have, because I am incapable of introducing people to people when they're in my store. So <laughs> I've always said I wish there was a supercut of all the people I've introduced to people. And, I mean, I've had really meaningful interactions between people in my store right in front of me who I've just introduced in that moment. And I live for that. That's the joy. That is the joy. I laugh at retail therapy, though, because if you look at the bookshelf behind our cash wrap, <laughs> We have a Knob Creek, a, yeah. a um, Fabricaro Sotol, um, I don't know, like six or seven like high end liquors. We call that retail therapy. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, JT from troop came in this morning. He's like, he's like, I need a kombucha. And, that you know oh, and I'm like which one he's like I don't care so <laughs>
3: all of, yeah, mix right?
0: them. yeah I know I, I mean I'm a graveyard of high-end boozes yeah. but um you know and again obviously I'm not selling liquor or whatever but he's a friend yeah. he's yeah. a friend who runs a business he was beat up and he's like can I have a shot and I'm like yeah you can <laughs> uh, but th- those are really were originally up there for us no, I don't. I don't hit it anymore.
1: But. <laughs> the original retail therapy,
3: yeah. exactly. In the so old it makes days. it it makes it even more difficult to back off because you get such a uh, it's such a recharge to go into work totally. and be interfacing with people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So.
0: It's just I just laugh because I I really do remember when I thought this will be a nice job. I'll work from nine to six, <laughs> and that's all I'll do. And then and it's just it's so not that way. I'm mm. I'm first thing in the morning. I'm I'm on my phone. I'm responding to all the you know, inventory questions. I'm dealing with all the, you know, charitable requests. I'm talking to, you just, I always say to everybody, come spend a day. You you won't, Mm. you wouldn't. And I know everybody in every career will say this, come spend a day. You won't believe it. So I know I'm not unique in that regard. I just, it was eye opening to me because I thought it would be
3: something else. I think, I mean, owning your own, own business or entrepreneurship in general is a completely different beast. I mean, if you work a regular job, I don't think it can compare. I would never say to somebody, like, looking at what you do versus what I do. And we we work hard, obviously, and we put a lot of work in. But, uh, yeah, it's just a completely different experience.
0: I, I think now that it is, and, again, I'm not because I, I just – I do. Because I think one thing I know for myself is there I can never, ever turn it off. It yeah. can never be turned off. I can go away, and for the first five years, the, the farthest I went was Block Island, because i needed to be within a couple hours at any time cuz anything could happen the system could go down the you know you could have a break in when we one time we had some people who broke through our front window in a, in a pub brawl, mm-hmm. you know, you just, on mother's day night, um, which was fun. I was there at three in the right. morning. Was, you know?
3: was it a fight over whose mother was better? <laughs> probably. Yeah, no, that's probably, probably. what it was. I mean, no,
0: but it was so sweet. It was such a community thing. It was people I knew. And oh so they came gosh. in the next day oh with a really, really sweet, like apology card. They're like, I'm so sorry that I smashed your window. <laughs> oh my Cause I mean, they came in, right. it was old wild west pub roll Jeez. through the window right
3: They yeah. yeah, we looking for that whiskey <laughs> wow.
0: so i know when are we going to start by the way i can't oh, wait uh, to get my best material about an, hour,
3: yeah. about an hour from yeah, now but, we'll, no, yeah we'll we said that
1: it. we record for an hour after the first yeah, hour of that's the right i feel like so. my
0: pipes are
2: warmed up now <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: it is it is part of it you know is initially kind of getting you in and starting to yeah. to tell story <laughs> um but I mean, yeah we do an improv scene at the end <clears> so uh,
3: really, are
0: you cool. an improv guy
3: Uh, Yes. you never believe it. No. I
0: 100% believe it from the t-shirt and from the witty rejoinders. Which
3: Our third... I'm sorry.
0: Oh, no, no. I was just going to say they seem to come freely to you, which is impressive.
3: Yes, and. Yes, and. We actually... Yes, and. (laughs) Our fourth guest, I think, were my improv teachers who run Wage House um, in Pawtucket, which I'd highly recommend if you ever... Want to go to an improv show? Um, Five
1: dollar date night.
3: Five dollar wow. date night. Uh, you could bring the whole a, family for twenty bucks. You could, if your family's four people. Yeah, which <laughs> possibly is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Anyways, that's not what I want to go into. But yes, improv. You yeah. do it at the end of the show every time. That's not true. That's not Moving true. On. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've,
0: I've spent a whole life of no but.
3: <laughs> no, the worst improv
0: I know I actually did I did the 10,000 small businesses uh, thing from Goldman Sachs last year to improve you know your yeah. business and that was really revealing in many ways but one of the days we're at RISD and, and we were supposed to do an improv and I'm just like I want to be <laughs> I want to be good at this because I'm not really that shy and mm. I'll be fine And and I got up there and I really was so bad that oh, I yes. basically got like they shoved me out of the scene.
1: <laughs> they grabbed the they cane the, and like the cane or yeah, pretty it is, much. Pulled you out.
0: because it was something like they were like selling pies like somehow this whole thing came up oh i'd like to buy a pie. pies. and i and of course i come in paranoid i'm like if the health department sees that you're selling pies without the proper licensing and they were like did you just come in and like tell us we can't sell pies i was like well yeah and they're like all right you're
1: out oh my gosh <laughs> Oh man,
3: that's so funny! I you know. can, I you like, could you could work with that. Yeah. I
0: know, uh, but see, all my I, I just also read a thing in the Harvard Business Review about like the par like what was it the neuro the anxious business mind, and it was like if you're always if you're always seeing like the pitfalls, like you may have an anxious business mind. I'm like, oh boy, because <laughs> everything is like, you know, so somebody'll have a great idea, I'll be like, that's a really good idea, except, and then I hear all the things here help, are all the things that, will go the things that can go right. wrong, you right. know. Right. So I think I would say that entrepreneurship has really developed those muscles.
1: Yeah. And there is like – there's almost a vacuum with it too to where like on – I'm sure you've recognized this maybe in your staff. It's like you'll be having a positive day and like we should try this thing. And someone on your staff is like, yeah, but wait, we've got X, Y, Z. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's always like there's always someone – in the vacuum, who fills that spot when you step out of it? As <laughs> yeah, I think I,
0: I would think that you are right. If that were not always me, I mean I have oh, always wow. the that's a good idea. Except, so huh. I am the no but girl, which is why I think improv is a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I and I need more in my life.
1: It's amazing. So what? Uh, th- Ten thousand businesses. What prompted you to get started with that?
0: I like five or six people that I know who have small businesses were like, you got to do this program, you got to do this program. And I'm really glad I did, of course. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing to have here. And it's free to the people, you know, it's just you give up time. And it was that classic thing of like, all I had to do was go one day a week for whatever it was, 14 weeks. And that just almost killed me.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, that's got to be brutal for you. Oh, yeah. it
0: was brutal. I'd be like, you know, they're like, oh, you're supposed to have your phones down. I'm like, right. looking in. I'm like, oh, my God, fix that, you know. And so it, 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 that was hard. But that was actually one of the exercises is can you leave your business unattended? and And I say this as somebody who clearly hasn't hit my marks yet because you should be able to, you ought to be able to, it ought to be enough automated and process driven that you can actually step aside without feeling like you have to have your hands on every single transaction, but I'm just not there yet. So I think that's really a, a you know, a statement about the kind of not business person I am.
3: <laughs> Do you have a trajectory for trying to get there or is it just kind of, just gonna you know, I, going to keep going with what you love?
0: Yeah. So that's so in, in, in every way we've been kind of, um, I love it when I talk in the royal. We we have been very um, resistant to everything that would probably be a good business plan. So, like you know, we never got we never made a website, and because I just feel like that's been done at the highest possible level. That's not what I'm trying to be. I want to be your neighborhood kitchen store. Like to
3: sell from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah.
0: I mean, we have a shingle website like we're here. But as far as like, you know, selling on the web and people are like, but, but we, you know, we love you or we moved away or we want to care, you know, we want to buy one of these for my. And I'm just like, there, that's probably low hanging fruit that I just keep resisting because I just feel like if I have any bandwidth left, I want to bring it to making your experience in the store better. So that, that is, you know, a thing I should have done as far as like having better automation and better processes and all of that and the trajectory. I don't think I have that skill set. I know how to be there and I know how to handle the little mini fires as they're happening. And I don't know how to ask anybody else to do that yet.
3: One of the interesting things about success sometimes is it's like, oh, I'm successful, but here's how things can be better. And here's how the industry does things. And you you can do them and, and end up being less successful. So like sometimes when you have a formula that works really well, you don't want to mess with it too much. And it sounds like you've continued to grow and you've built a community around this, doing what you're doing. So I I would imagine that's very hard to change that into any other direction.
0: Yeah. So we're not scalable, really. Right. I mean, we could be, but I don't know how to be. And and, and to, to your point, and I don't really want to scale. You know, I like what I do. I mean, I think that's the real that's the real rub It's like, I really like, you know, I'm just in that catch 22. I really love being there. I just don't want to be there always, you know, but, but yet I love being there. So it's like, which is it? You know, I don't even know from day to day. So
1: talk to me a little bit about knife skills class. You've referenced it a couple of times tonight. And in terms of business scaling, that actually looks like a, a little bit of a, an attempt or move to do that, right? It's a service beyond what you're selling.
0: Yeah, so in the original 41-page business plan, (laughs) um, we had all kinds of classes slated. And we did start out originally with quite a few more than we have now, like cookie decorating, oyster shucking. And what I found was that I would work all day and then go home and then have to go back and run a class and then be back there first thing in the morning. And it just, it was too many hours in the store every single day. And so I scaled back on those. But knife skills really should be the model for what we do. And again, a, a better business person would have figured this out by now but you know i'm taking my sweet time this is a group they're a home chef organization my chef Lara, who come in with all the food and the knives and the skill and they set up in my front room and they teach you know anywhere between eight and twelve students at once and i think it's a 15 dollar class and it's about 90 minutes and i love it because it really represents like what i super believe, which was you don't have to have every gadget under the sun. Like you really don't need a pineapple corer. You need a good knife and you need to know how to use it. And so I love the concept and the mission and the point of this class. So they're in there now with my daughter slicing up garlic and onions and butternut squash. And they're all gonna leave and they bring their own knives because, you know, love the one you're with and they're gonna learn and they're gonna be better cooks. And so that that is very fulfilling. And it's nice because it's, it's pretty much turnkey. I'm not there anymore. So that should be the model going forward. I should find people who just want to come in and teach useful things. It shouldn't have to be me. Like the time I did teach an oyster shucking and put the knife right in the palm of my hand. And that was the...
3: the first thing I thought of. I'm like, oyster shucking? I hope she knew how to do it. I do. Oh, I, and you just I accidentally. My, yeah. I
0: taught myself at the Ocean House. I literally taught my first class the day I learned to shuck and I was fine. And then I became, you know, pretty good at it because yeah. I taught a lot a lot of classes but one day I was working a full shift at the store and I went home and then I came back to teach the oyster shucking class and I just lost it and it went right into my palm and I didn't unbeknownst to me one of the girls in the class that day was a food blogger oh, no. <laughs> so she was taking pictures and everything and I was like oh fuck. there's like blood <laughs> oh, coming no. down my palm right. and so anyway she was really nice she didn't mention it in her write-up
3: nice that very I, nice that
0: i that i you know basically speared myself
3: yeah. it's entertainment so you mentioned the uh, the massachusetts company and i think that leads in pretty well to how you keep a lot of your store local right you yeah like To use local yeah. merchants like what uh, you know you first came to rhode island you just drove around you just found everything every place every person and fell beef in love barn. With that. beef yeah. barn beef barn i love example. that you mentioned beef barn i, love I know, that place. I
0: know.
3: <laughs> um but uh Yeah, what is that part of the heart of your business? Very
0: much so. And that actually relates back to what I was saying earlier, which was, you know, in addition to trying to have all the tools that you want, we always want to have those local things that are meaningful, you know, where it's a very meaningful transaction for that artist who made it and for us. And for some people, it's their first validation that they're actually, you know, really commercial artists, not just hobbyists, you know, and, and. And like I always tell the story of Matt Hall, he's, I referenced him before, he does, he went to RISD, he does these beautiful cast bronze horseshoe crab bottle openers. They are really gorgeous. They have this weight and heft in your hand. And he came in off the street, really shy guys from Vermont, sweetest kid in the world. He's like, hey, um, I was wondering if maybe you think you could carry these. And he shows me, it, and it is beautiful. You see it, and it, it just, there's something so primitive about a horseshoe crab that it just speaks to you and i was like wow that's amazing and i and i turn it over and i said i'm so sorry though <clears throat> i can't carry it because we are a kitchen store and everything must relate to food one way or the other and i said i just don't have a place for a paperweight and he goes oh it's a bottle opener and i'm like go back to your car and get me every single one <laughs> yeah <clears throat> and i think i was his first i think i may have been like among his first retail accounts you know and mm. and um He's done phenomenally well. He's been in the New York Times with that product now, you know. But he came in in his little Vermont license plate truck, and 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 so I, you know, the, the, those stories go on all the time. So that is very much at our core is is this supporting and boosting the local artists. And when we started in 2012, it really wasn't most people's priority. It really, really wasn't. They wanted neat things. They wanted things at a reasonable price. They wanted stuff to be cool, but they didn't necessarily care where it was made. And I will tell you, the total and complete just rise on that, you know, it's just now the first words out of everybody's mouth is, what do you have that's made in Rhode Island? So when I'm working with people, when with artists, that's one of the things I totally tell them. I say, I love your product. Your product is great. Your labeling is lovely, except can you go home and add Made in Rhode Island to that? I said, because it will boost your sales by four times. And it's not going to put off the Massachusetts buyer or the, you know, New York buyer, but it will make all the difference in the world to the Rhode Island buyer. That is definitely something that we value and prioritize and are always seeking. I'm always looking for more artists who have food and kitchen related
3: items. There's got to be a parallel between ease of getting items from like mass produced items from Amazon and stuff and people wanting more local stuff. You know, it's just like, yeah. okay, I can, yeah, I can get that thing everywhere, whatever. Like, I want something that's like, uh, special. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. like you mentioning, like, you want to go somewhere and you want to bring a gift. From your hometown, something that's like handcrafted because it has like actual thought to it. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be some kind of parallel.
0: Because there. if you remember, I absolutely, you're, I think you're 100% spot on. And, and if you remember, like in the old days when you wanted to bring something from Rhode Island, you would get it at the airport and it would be made in China. But it would say <laughs> right. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah, right. And that was always unsatisfying, you know. So I think you're right. I think now that it's so easy to get these commodity products You know, I think people really do value something with a story. I had a woman in yesterday; she was buying a little Japanese dish. It was adorable. But then Anna Highsmith, who's a great ceramicist, walked in my door to drop some stuff off, and I just said, I yelled into the room, I said, "We have a potter in the house!" (laughs) And the lady came over, and they started talking. And absolutely, she bought Anna's bowl instead of this mass-produced
1: one. One of the things that drew us actually to the store, time and time again, because my thing is like we have a tiny kitchen, we literally cannot fit any more stuff. we love kitchen stuff, but mm-hmm. the biggest draw to stock actually for us, you know, over the years that we've been coming into the store has actually been like the food pop-ups that you guys have done
2: Okay, more cool. often
1: than not to like, so my, you know, my wife, Kelsey's on Instagram. She sees like, Oh, there's this thing happening at stock. Can we go? Yes. And you know, we'll pop in and it's like, Oh, I like this little, I'm going to get a cookbook and maybe a couple of things. And I walk out with my little goodie bag and she's got, you know, her donut or kombucha or something like that. Um, But there's, it's really, yeah, it's awesome to have that asset in the shop. Was there an intention for you about setting that up or did that kind of happen as an accident?
0: It was a little bit organic, but it was definitely, I was aware of the pop-up concept, of course. And, and I didn't really know what's the difference between a demo and a pop-up and a sampling. But pop-up was the term of art at the time. And we were so, you know, I, I again, with the 24 hour workday. every night I'm awake in the middle of the night thinking about, Oh God, I didn't reply to that person or whatever. And so that's when you jump on Instagram and I would just like rapidly look through Instagram for what's new and what's fresh out there and follow links and everything. And so, you know, I was so lucky. I mean, I mean, we had nitro card in there. I think, again, I think we were the first God, we were so early to have nitro cart coffee. We weren't the first, but we were early. And we were certainly the first non-cafe to have it. Luluna Kombucha, we found her really, really early on. They had just come over from Block Island. Rebel, you know, PV Donuts, and Victoria from uh, Vic's Ice Cream were all early in the game. And so it was so complimentary because we were so excited to be finding these things and introducing them to people on this awesome corner of Hope Street in Providence and they were so excited to be seen and it was so symbiotically perfect and beautiful. I mean I just loved it and I love all those people to those da- to this day. Like I feel like those like we all came up together in a weird way, you know? It's also kind of funny because I feel like they've all just blossomed, you know? They're doing so well out there and every once in a while I'll hear somebody say something where the phrasing just bugs me. It's something like Oh, well, you've discovered... <laughs> PV Donuts, right? I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> you know, they, believe me, they were there. They were happening. It was a real thing. I'm like, yeah, I was lucky to have them early. I was great that, you know, it's awesome that they were so responsive, but no, please edit that sentence. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, we had a lot of people in early. I'm, I'm not as active right now doing that. And it's just, it's that work-life balance. It's just like something always has, has to give. And right now I'm kind of focusing on some other things. But I want to get back there because it is so great to foster and, and boost and let some of these people kind of like basically a workshop what they're doing with a real life people where they know the audience is going to be there. Like we had lines out the door for PB Donuts when we first you know, um, had them in yeah. and Rebel and vicks so there you go
3: <laughs> i mean i know you're saying like you didn't find them or anything like that but we've talked to some of those people some of them on the podcast and they're they all seem extremely grateful to you and have nothing but praises to sing for for stocks
0: they're all good kids they really are i just i, I mean the 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 energy and the collaboration and the way that they all work together and support each other i i just i say all the time i've never seen a city like providence where it's so a rising tide situation we all recognize it i think it is because we struggle you know i think we have to be resourceful and i think we know it's small and you got to be on the right side of karma and everybody supports everybody and i've seen unbelievably heroic acts of helping each other you know sometimes even at the you know even though there's consequences for you know the person like they'll just go out of their way to help somebody else and i just think it's awesome I, I I am so grateful, and going back to Vic, who's a dear and special friend of mine, because she started she before she did her ice cream shop. She worked for me, and she just had so much talent. And it was just like, when are you going to stop working in this stupid kitchen store and and fulfill your destiny, you know? And she didn't know what it was going to be initially. And then she went off to Noma and she interned there and she came back. Oh, she was
3: working there before she went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
0: she was so cute. She would, and this is so, it's just funny how it all circles around. She would come in, she was at Jewu doing pastry, and she would come in and she was always looking for Cherry Bomb, the magazine. And I didn't have it and I was like and after like the third request I'm like you know I'm gonna get that for that nice girl <laughs> see there's circling back to that so I got it and um and then she just came around and finally I was like gosh do you she knew everything I was like do you want to work here she's like well actually and 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 she's so funny because she's not super outgoing like when I first met her and then I put her behind the counter and everybody loved her I mean she was just such a rock star she's I don't see her as much anymore of course because she's busy but she we have a very entwined history and i think that she is emblematic of what can happen in providence because she has no ties here she's other than jay woo she's from new york and and you know we i just we kept talking about like this is the city where if you've got the energy and the drive and the idea this city will get you there just trust in it and go for it and let everybody rise you up and 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 it worked and it is working and sure granted she's in barrington now but (laughs) (laughs) it's the cutest place ever so i'm gonna let that
3: pass (laughs) is she do any pop is she gonna do any pop-ups at stock anymore
0: she still has the window so we put in the slide window which she has not been able to attend lately because she's in barrington but i think we'll i hope we'll resume that i just love having her around I know this is not a podcast about Vic, yeah. but while know, we're I'm on like, the wait, subject, it's a, fan, it's a, it's I a, it's a, it's
1: a Victoria Young fan, yeah, cast. A fan
0: cast. I will just say, it's so
1: funny. <laughs> I'm
0: a Stan. I will just say that, um, she has such a great left brain, right brain balance that you almost never see. And I think mm. that's exactly also manifested in her ice cream, right? It's like, that is wacky. But there's also a relatability. And it's the same thing. Like she would like bust my numbers for me. She'd be like, oh my gosh, look at your gross profit. You know, and I'd be like, what? And then she'd like do the most beautiful display in the world. I'm like, damn. I was like, you got to have your own
2: happen? business. <laughs> I know, right?
1: Was it intentional for you um, to help kind of, I, I don't know another word for it, but like incubate other women?
0: No, it wasn't intentional, but it's sure easy you know, I mean, on every level, because they are doing amazing things. It just so happens there was a wave of them coming through. And I think, you know, and let's be real, I'm a lot older than all those kids. So I think that um, maybe they just felt a certain kind of, I don't know, (laughs) maternal something, I don't know, (laughs) that it, it happened a lot. I'm trying to think if I Incubated any men, and I
1: don't <laughs> think such a bad word. I'm <laughs> yeah, so was... sorry for that. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well,
0: weirdly, it is the word. I yeah, yeah, any yeah, men run businesses have come through, and I don't really think they have.
3: Some so that, that have that's... sold products there, but not like, actually yeah, have, I
0: mean, like... like Ocean State Pepper Co. is Katie and Dave, you know, right. I mean, PV Donuts is you know, Lori and Paul, it's right, you know, he's not not in the picture. Um, Audrey is Audrey and Sam, but you know, the, the, of nitro cart. But I think in a lot of those cases, the women, women are kind of up in the front and center.
1: One of your favorite places to be is in the shop. Yes. And one of the most stressful, crazy, hard, challenging experiences you've ever had in your life have been the past seven years at the shop. Yeah. How has that shifted you, transformed you or changed you just as a person?
0: In every way, completely at a cellular level and all the way up through and beyond. Yeah. I'm just not the same person I was seven years ago. How so? I just will never be blithe about anything again. I will never, ever just feel like, oh, I can do that, <laughs> uh. which is just kind of how I'm wired. I'm just kind of like, I oh, I got that. This has been... A day in, day out reminder that like things take focus, planning, time, attention. There is just no skipping through the things you really care about.
1: And you know, you're on a show called You Can Do It. Do you? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'd
0: actually forgotten that, but, the, but you're, I mean, I, that, yeah, you can, you can. Yeah, just don't think it's going to be easy every time. Right. You know, but you can.
1: I love it. And, and you so did. Good. And I did. Yeah. And you were <laughs> compelled it. Did into creating it. <laughs> a business. yeah. <laughs> D. I love that so much. Awesome. Well, Jan, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, my
0: pleasure. Thank you Great. guys thank so much you. for having me.
1: Thanks again for listening to Girl Let's Talk About Food, presented by You Can Do It, Do It. You can hear more about what Jan is up to by going to com slash two zero. Big thanks to Night Swim for the use of their song, Fiji, as the theme song for the show. And thank you to you for listening. We are so inspired by what's going on in Providence and hope you are too. Anyway, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks so much. Bye.